I'm Q and this is Bird Road. We've got a great interview for you today, but first, as always, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review to the show in Apple Podcasts, everywhere else that podcasts can be found. Check out birdroadpodcast.com to stay updated on the uh, latest goings on and follow us on Twitter at Bird Road Podcast. Dave is off today, but we've got another weekend episode coming up over the holidays, so stay tuned for that. It's election season right now. And the last time we had a candidate for Miami-Dade County Commission on the show, it was someone who had no elected experience. It was somebody who was uh, taking on a member of one of the six families that run this entire county, basically. And it turned out pretty well for Commissioner Eileen Higgins. And we're hoping for a, for a similar outcome with our guest today. If you're from Miami, you've probably heard of Michael. Ro- you probably heard Michael Rosenberg's name in connection with the successful Pet Trust Pets Trust ballot initiative in 2014 that met a very dirty, underhanded end, although maybe it still has some life in it. We're going to get into that, um, and we're going to talk about the story of Pets Trust, what happened and what's going on. But first, we're going to talk about his campaign to become a Miami-Dade commissioner in District 7, which is my home district, the home district of Bird Road. And he was kind enough to you know, take some time from the campaign trail to talk to us. You can learn more about his campaign at michaeldistrict7, no, that's the number seven, dot com. Michael Rosenberg, welcome to Bird Road. Thank you. And Pets Trust was 2012, just to correct. Oh my God, did I write two? I wrote 2014. I can't believe it was that long ago. (laughs) How many Mm -hmm. administrations ago was that? We're Um, we're still fighting it like it was yesterday. So we're going to jump into that. Um, But first question, I always ask folks who are running whenever we have them on and we're fortunate enough to talk to them. Why are you running in your own words? In 2008, I had a huge water bill and I had up to that time, I wasn't very involved in the local politics. I'm almost nothing. And so, but I had been doing things like if a store was doing uh, fraudulent advertising or a restaurant did something bad, I, I, I did those kind of things. Ralph Nader Jr. And so when I got that water bill, I thought, you know what? I've battled all these other things. I'll just go fight and get my water bill fixed. Whoa, the county is way different. <laughs> the county is not is not a restaurant chain that wants to take care of you. No. So that began a four-year battle with my water bill that had been about $600 over the three-month period instead of about $60. And I had to prove, and I wanted to prove, that the water meters aren't always accurate. It was a four-year battle. And during that time, I got called from people that had $6,000 water bills and $4,000 water bills and people that had their water turned off because if you don't pay, it's turned off. Hey, Mr. Rosenberg, I was in the shower today and it turned off right in the shower. So I heard so many stories and I wanted to do something about it. And I was able to prove that the water meters aren't always accurate. And because of that, a new law was passed and now thousands of people have saved millions of dollars because you don't you don't always have to pay if something is very excessive right. and there's a procedure you can go through and a lot of people have saved a lot of money they don't know why that program happened but it's because of me so that's what made me realize wow you can really impact a lot of people in right. government more than you can just going into a mcdonald's and they didn't give you a large Coke and you got a small Coke or something like that. You can do so much more in government. And then after that, the, I joined the uh, Kendall Federation of homeowners. It's been around about 40 years a, a vocal group for the people in the area of Kendall. 
and I became president after one year and, uh, and then got more and more involved with all sorts of different issues in our county and started going down to the commission a lot and got to the point now where, and at the age now, where this is it. I've decided to go from the audience to get up on the stage. And right now, the problem is if I want to get, and we'll get into some of these ideas, I can't do them. Yeah, They have to come from a commissioner wanting to sponsor something. And I don't know, the ideas are maybe too out of the box. I, I think you're fine. Well, we're we're going to jump. We're going to talk about some of those ideas. But um, as I alluded to sort of up front, and I'm glad you mentioned that because it's a really good segue. Your opponents are are, are familiar names. I'm not going to mention them because you know what this show's about you, and uh, you know you, you've got the the bird road seal of approval, and the opponents don't. But these are people who have held office before. They have like family pedigrees. Some of them are members of like political dynasties here in Miami. This show's position has always been, with very rare exceptions, we've always said, uh, vote against anyone whose last name comes from a political dynasty. That's kind of our position. And you had to know that you'd be taking on some like established power in this commission race uh, and going up against a lot of influence. You talked about like deciding to take that plunge. Like what was it about right now, this moment that made you say, okay, this is the time that I have to do it. Well, I mean, this is it. I'm, I'm, I'm 68. I know people see me and think I'm about hey, 40. Or no, something, you're looking but, good for 68. But, I see you here on the Zoom oh, call. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Keep going. Keep. Going. I don't want to interrupt. If you got more to say, no, please, so, please. <laughs> so, so uh, I, I, this is it. So I don't have any. Well, I calculated. I could possibly go for four years as commissioner, four years again, then go for four years as governor, six years as a senator, and I'd be president in about ninety. Go that if I had a plan like that. It's a good career plan. Path. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm just kidding. My plan <laughs> is is to become a commissioner, do whatever I can do to make things better for people. And at the end of four years, hopefully they would say, we'll give you another four years. And that's, that's it. Mm. And, and I hope that, that, that my style of doing things would change the way people look at government and, and realize I, I'm, not, I, I'm not influenced by any outside uh, lobbyist. I, I just want to do the things that I believe that are right. I am influenced by what people have to say. Yeah. I like having referendums where people can vote. I think it's very important to see what people have to say. I, I'm just the person that moves the parts around when people have told me what it is they want. I, I ask the questions. I ask questions of both sides, have to come to a conclusion, but, but not, at, not until I've done a lot of work. So you have in that realm of, uh, you know, you were kind enough to share something that we in the journalism business call a matter, which is like a lot of helpful information about yourself and um, and what you want to do on day one. I was reading through your, your day one agenda. And um, the first thing that really jumps out at me is this theme that you sort of just touched on right now, which is like more accessible government or understandable government one of your one of your proposals is to you know institute plain language and all public notices that you know government speak yeah exactly that that gets past government speak and then to also do independent budget analysis those budgets can be really labyrinthian i mean this is billion dollar budgets in a county this size it's it's enormous budgets and um a lot of people it's impenetrable for the normal person Uh, a lot of your campaign seems like it's about demystifying a lot of this like inside baseball why is that one of your focuses well one one good example in my presentation to the commission about government speak i went 
and I did some research and I read a notice that was in the newspaper. And when I read it, it, it sounded something like this. We're going to have a hearing discussing 42651X filtrated by Dynamics 4726152. Okay, so, so, and it's going to be in front of the community council. I mean, that's clear as day. Come well, on, Michael. You, that, that's, I mean, come on. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> clear, right. We all, we all know what it is. Sure. And so at that community council meeting after that hearing, no one was there. What was that meeting about? We know now. It was the beginning of the end of the Pine Rocklands. Right. Nobody knew what it was. And nobody knew so, what it was. So what is that when the newspaper publishes that public notice, and they can put any language they want, below it, they put it in regular plain English. Mm -hmm. And that would have said, we're having a meeting to decide if the Pine Rocklands is going to become a Walmart. Right. And there would have been a thousand people. But, but the only people that like that language are the lawyers and, and lobbyists, and I guess developers that, that like that language. So I think it should be changed. We should know exactly what it is. So that's, that's, that's was my government speak program. That's part of my first day. It's, it's a great point though, because so much in this, in this County, and I'm sure in other large County and metropolitan areas, it feels the same way too, but I've lived here most of my adult life. And so much of what happened, and I'm a journalist, pretty well informed. I mean, you know, it was kind of my job to be informed and, it all feels so cloaked in um, in like secrecy out in the open. Like a lot of the things, even though we have, we're very, our state is you know all about sunshine and we have pretty strong sunshine laws and things are discoverable and findable in our state. It, it's it's I think you touched on it pretty well. The lawyers, lobbyists, and a specific class of um, of actors want to keep it just a little bit out of arm's reach, like just so that the the general people aren't like kind of showing up like you say it's, a thousand it's more people. than a little bit yeah it's more than a little bit a, a friend of mine showed me an example if you if you look at the agenda i mean i before i got into this there were people that told me they look at the county commission agenda i i thought get a life you look <laughs> at the agenda God. i mean there's a zillion yeah. things on it and so so um now I realize the importance of that, and the average person has no idea what what's going on. And so what scares me about being a commissioner is that in seeing all those items, everyone impacts something or it wouldn't be there. And they're really hard to understand. So what happens is a lot, the commissioners lump them all together, and I guess they go over them before they vote on them, but God, there's just so many of them. What, what are they? And And a friend of mine, Using an example once, he, he, he showed his students. He said, look at this one. It's in front of the commission. And this and the couple of the students said, I, I, don't, I don't know what it is. That's, I don't care. I have no idea what and that what is. And what it was, no, what it was was a developer was going to get $20 million of our tax money to do something. Hmm. <laughs> now, you're home sleeping in bed, and I'm home sleeping in bed. And they did this thing. Somebody somewhere, if it passes, got himself a $20 million deal. Right. It may have been an okay deal, but the moral of the story is we don't know it. Right. And and the same about looking into the budget. I It's amazing to me how the mayor, if he needs money for something, he finds it. Right. But if somebody else needs money, it's not there. So what is it that he knows how to do that to find it? He never seems to be really worried about it. So I think I think that before we start saying defund the police to get more things for social workers, 
maybe it's in the budget. Maybe there is money there. We, we, maybe we, we need to look there first and totally analyze it and make sure it's all spent wisely and correctly. It should be able to be done, right? I mean, somebody should be able to look at it and say, what's, why is $50 million going over here? Right. Well, I don't know. What is the over here? And somebody should be able to do that. You have to want to. Right. And it has to be possible. I, w- I want to, and that's, I think, being able to, you know, delve into that and actually see what's happening in those line items as opposed to them being sort of shrouded in secrecy is is very important. Another element, uh, another another element of your day one agenda that I wanted to ask you about is, well, let me put it this way, it, for especially if you're poor or if you're broke or if you don't have a lot of power or agency here, Miami can be a very disempowering place. It can be a place where it's easy to feel like you're on your own, uh, a lot of like strong powers, whether it's government or landlord or whoever is sort of holding control in your life or holding sway in your life, you can feel outmatched. And one of the things that you're proposing, um, and I I just kind of like shorthanded it as like a civilian oversight hotline. I wanted you to talk more about that, the 311 or 911, but, you know, geared for people to call about just general abuses, systematic abuses that they that they kind of endure like how would that work what's your vision for that well i i met with several black ministers in the grove and it it was i don't want to say it was eye-opening i mean i read i know stuff but when when i leave a meeting i don't like it to just be okay now the meeting's over go to the next one really like to have action things that i have to do so from that meeting i'll just just summarize how this came about there's no grocery store in the west grove it's called a food desert. Yeah. Um, I'd really not really heard that term, but when I looked it up, it's definitely a food desert. That's one of my things on the platform for the first day is find a grocery store that would go into the West Grove. Now, yep. see, that's an action. So my, I, I'm looking now. It's not, it's not easy, but I'm looking now. So, so that's an action that came away from that. Find it, and, and I will find it. Mm-hmm. And so. Another thing that came it's up. It's needed in that area. The, the, the closest thing in that area is, a, um, for folks who live outside of Miami, the closest thing there is a Milam's, which is a very high-end, like Trader right, Joe's right, style, right. not for right. the typical sort of working-class budget. And apart from that, no, there's no public Swin-Dixie grocery stores anywhere near there. Right. Well, that, that, was, that was one of the other. But the, but the other doubt, they, they, one, one of the preachers mentioned how that, that – that now that COVID is relaxed, now this was two weeks ago. Now it's not relaxing, but it was relaxing two weeks ago. And he said, I'm worried now my 24-year-old son's going to start going out. <laughs> I said, yeah. you, you mean you're afraid he's going to get the virus? No, I'm afraid <laughs> he's going to get DWB. <laughs> yeah. And, and I said, well, wait a minute. Oh, is that real? And he said, <laughs> Oh yeah, it's real. Oh, yeah. He said it happened. The preacher, the preacher is about sixty. He said it happened to him about four weeks ago. I said, "Well, wait. You, so you were you were pulled over because you had a light out or something, right?" He said, "No, no." And all three of the preachers that were there said the same thing. I said, "I've I've not experienced that." So so I thought that, and I said, "So you teach your children how to behave." When that situation, put keep your hand on the wheel, don't breathe, stop your heart, mm. don't blink your eyes, whatever whatever it is they have to teach you to do during that situation. So he said, oh, yeah, that's part of what we teach our kids. So I said, you know, the problem is I, I did some research afterwards. The problem is those things don't get reported so much. Right. I mean, because if you report it, 
you have to call the police station. That's yeah. not exactly the best place to call up to tell somebody that somebody just harassed you. You can see where that report's going to go. So it tends not to be reported. And I kind of confirmed this by uh, talking to some higher up police officers that it's, that it's a, it's a very difficult thing. And, and if, and if you talk to police officers on the ground, they kind of tell you it doesn't happen. So that's even more interesting. So imagine this, here's the scenario. Uh, someone that's, uh, driving while black, if that's, that's the name of it, is driving through Coral Gables on Miracle Mile, right. two o'clock in the morning, and he gets pulled over for no reason at all. What are you doing here? I'm just driving home. I took a shortcut. The education part of this program would be, you teach your kids all those things, but also let them know that when this incident is over, they're smiling on the inside from everything that officer is saying to them, if it's bad, because they know as soon as it's over, they're going to dial one, one, one or whatever that number would be. Right. And There's when you recourse. call that number, right. it's the, it's the harassment line. It's not, it's not, is there an emergency? Is your house on fire? No, it's a harassment line set up for instances. For example, if you're trying to buy a house and you feel that you've been some, some kind of bias in the purchase of a house, it's a number set up specially for that. And so, but but the main part of the of being harassed while you're driving now think let's say this number is set up it wouldn't be that hard to do and so so but you have to educate the community to use the number that's the right. thing they have to use it so now let's say six months goes by and at the end of six months and everybody knows this number exists now and six months goes by and there's 500 calls and 50 of them are officer smith oh, oh i got a problem with officer smith right and and mr smith maybe he can't contain himself, but all the person calling has to do is think, I got you. You harassing me for no reason at all. Say whatever you want to say. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Goodbye. One, one, one. Right. And, and that's it. And you win. And so, so, but the thing is at the end of six months, you kind of have to wonder, will there be 500 calls or will there be two calls? How bad is it? See, that's the other thing. Right. I told the preachers that I met that after six months, what if there's only three calls? Maybe it's just a work of fiction that it doesn't exist. But on the other hand, I told the officers, what if it's really bad and there's 800 calls? So right. we'll find out. So that's that's my plan. Well, I think it's good to create those new avenues because, as you said, there's there's nothing right now. I mean, there's civilian uh, the civilian panel that has been defanged and, you know, a lot of the budget has been taken away from it and they haven't really been able to rack up very many wins. And I think that there's not, I, I think that that's interesting what you, what you pointed out that the data side of it, right? Because what you end up with is a usable, assuming you're able to get exactly. enough buy-in and enough people aware of it, that they're using it, you can get, you have to educate the community about it. And, right. th and the thing is that that's, that's the thing when somebody, I'm a big believer in really that's true. So, so then you go beyond that and you come up with a way to verify whatever it is, whatever it is. And so, so if somebody says to me, you're driving while black is a big problem and somebody else says it's not, there is the right answer of what's happening. It's there. So how do you find out? You have to work together as a community and find out how bad it is and if it's really there or not, then you, then you'll know. And if somebody was to hear this and call me up and say, well, Mr. Rosenberg doesn't know it's really bad. How do I know that? Right. Especially from your position. I mean, like it, 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 it's a specific 
subset of our community, a, a specific community within our community that is experiencing this. And, uh, you know, it's good, I think, to have data to be able to back those things up. It's, I think yeah. it's, it's critical. I want to jump into some a little bit of current events. First, I want to ask you, what's it been like trying to run a campaign during uh, this, you know, pandemic, various stays at, stay at home orders, things like that? I mean, like, oh, how are you adjusting? What are you trying to to, to do to be able to get the word out? I mean, apart from being on podcasts like mine, what, what, well, what how, know, how is it? It must I, be weird. I have nothing to compare it to. So this yeah. is the best campaign I've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, uh, I, I, I think that what's been good for me is I'm a very big out of the box thinker. I mean, I lived in a cage for our animals. So, uh, there's a lot of stuff that, that I've suggested, proposed, or, or tried to do in creative marketing ways that are not normal thinking. Uh, I, people that really know me know I have a reputation for what's he saying now uh, in a good way. And so, so I've had to um, use basically emails, text, social media stuff, um, uh, sending stuff to people that I know that I know send it to other people reaching out to the other communities that aren't Kendall, uh, for example, Pinecrest, uh, Brickell, and just let them know that there's another choice. And, and the toughest part is, is they, they don't know me much. I know, you know, I did, they know a little bit, but they don't really, really know me. And so, when I talk to them for a half hour, 45 minutes, I have to use every ounce, every second, every minute of that conversation to try to get them to know me and, and, and feel for me what others already know that do know me. Right. So, so that's basically, uh, it's the human connection, but not meeting face to face. Yeah. It's tough. I mean, and obviously running a political campaign, an extra you know dimension of um you know degree of difficulty we just learned tonight just now um in the last hour or so the uh, mayor has ordered reinstituted uh the curfew at 10 o'clock in miami-dade county um we're on the cusp of a lot more stricter requirements and you know shutting back down a lot of businesses where in the the we had our worst day today and our our before that, our worst day was yesterday, and before that, the worst day was the day before that. We are on a, on a bad trajectory right now. Um, it's easy, obviously, to you know play uh, the role of second guesser or morning, Monday morning quarterback, but but I'm just curious, how would you grade the county's response from March until now and the timing of the response to this pandemic, and what do you think could or should have been done differently? Well, you know... I always tell people if somebody knows the answer of what to do, don't listen to them because I mean, it's all over the place. If you watch the news every morning and in the evening and sometimes the middle of the day and and there's only three things that are consistent and that's stay home, wear a mask, social distance. That's, that's the three things that are consistent and everything else sort of comes from that. So um, it's tough because when you have a business and, I mean, there's also the stories of the businesses and, oh my God, what if you just opened and then you, you know, it's, it's a, just a mess. And so, uh, I, 
I, I don't have an answer. If this was 1941 and you told me we have a, a year, oh, four years of war coming and how are we going to struggle and make it? Somehow we did it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's got to be the same type of hero heroism that we all did back then. I mean, it's not, this is not a, there's no answer for this thing. And so the grade, I'd have to give, give every, give them a C. Mm-hmm. Some people say it's an F, but I'd say it's a C because it, nobody's got an A. Mm-hmm. Nobody, nobody really knows what to do. Everybody reacts to the latest thing that was before. And uh, maybe, 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 I mean, when the dinosaurs were ending, did you think the dinosaurs had a meeting and said, what are we going to do? I mean, that's <laughs> just what it was. And so we, we've got those three basic rules and it's up for all of us to do it. And this, in a country of 330 million Americans, there's just a lot of people that are going to make it worse for the rest of us. Yeah. I think that that's the biggest problem is there's just a lot of, what we've been calling like free radicals, people who are going to go out there and they're just going to continue living their life the way that they were. Look, look how many people it. die from, from drunk driving. Yeah. Now, we, we, we know the rules, but then, then 40 or 50,000 car accidents a year and so many of them from drunk driving. And, and how do you, how do you fix that? So, so that, that one seems like a, a, uh, an easier one to fix than stay home and don't go to the beach on July 4th. Right. So we, we, we can't even solve drunk driving. How are we <laughs> going to solve people the, the easy ones? Um, Just get the message out. Don't do it. There's many messages. Don't give it to your parents. Don't give it to your grandparents. Right. So many messages, but. But yeah, just in the face of it, it's like, and also, you know, uh, we, we talk about on the show sometimes about, we've talked to people about the idea that, um, you know, we even have kind of mother nature and <laughs> climate change working in our favor because most, uh, most virologists and people that, that work in this space seem to think that it's harder for this disease to this 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 virus to thrive in heat and sunlight which we've got and have had plenty of in the last month here in miami um and so i just shudder to think like what could happen down the road if we haven't flattened that curve down and and, and get further when you know we get to a, a you know a milder 80 85 degree days as opposed to where we're at right now um but i guess we'll cross that bridge when we get there there, there's just so much. I, my daughter lives in New Jersey. New Jersey in the beginning was horrendous. Right. It's bad still, but it's yeah. a lot of her friends have it, uh, had it bad. And they, she had a baby three months ago, uh, I, supposedly. I mean, yeah. I can't, I can't, can't go there. Go. I, That's torture. I, I see pictures, but I can't prove it's really her kid. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, so it's really just kind of, you know, I never expected after waiting nine months for the kid to come, he's got, he's dating now. I mean, is it going to be over that I can go visit? So, um, it's tough. So turning to sort of the other enormous story of the moment, the movement for accountability of police in the judicial system, black lives matter. We sort of touched on a little bit of this and it's, it's great to hear that you've been meeting with, um, with the ministers and the people in, in, in the, in the West Grove community. Um, these protests have roiled the country. Miami Dade is no exception. We are not without our own share of law enforcement problems here. Communities of color uh, in Miami are pretty routinely and, and endemically over-policed. I mean, we know that there's way bigger police presence in the county in black neighborhoods than in other neighborhoods. Media coverage has kind of like wound down since the initial sort of sporadic rioting uh, has turned into like mostly peaceful protesting. I'm wondering if you think that something has really changed or 
uh, at least the conditions have changed where, where, where improvements can be made. If things are different today, not just in Miami, but sort of, you know, nationally, but also Miami, uh, if things are, conditions are different today than they were a month and a half ago that, that could foster a positive change. What do, what do you think? Well, first of all, I'd really like to study what happened after various other protest movements in the past, where after those protests, people said, this time, this is it this time, this, yeah. this is it now. And so, so I'd like to know how much different it is. It's, it's different in that because of social media and stuff gets out more, but at the end of the day, it's we, the people have to get up and make the change. And I don't know if that part's changed. So, so it has to come from from certain types of people that are are the activists that push it, and so there there's I I, I can tell you that a couple of things that that I'd like to see happen is with the police board, uh, the citizens oversight board. I think that board should be equally among police type of people and regular citizens. So now you've got let's say the somebody from the the director of police's office, somebody from the union the officer of the year, the officer of the year from the past, uh, a, a rookie cop that's on the street, a person that trains officers. That's six right there. And you can get a few more. So maybe you get six or seven or eight from the police side. That's on one side. Then you get the eight on the other side from the civilian the side. community side. And then they sit together and now they're talking to each other rather than a 16 member citizen side. It's just talking and the police are going, it's not right, it's not fair. It's, you know, right. that, that is not the way to do it. So you need to be, both sides need to be at the table. And, and it needs to be led by someone who believes that fairness on both sides is the key. So um, not somebody that picks a side. Mm. And you have to, for every, like this new case right now in the, in the airport where the officer slapped the person, mm. You see, did you saw the video? Yeah, I think uh, we, yeah, we, 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 re I retweeted that today. It was a, um, yeah, a pretty, to, to encapsulate that, that video it was short. Um, it was a, a pretty aggressive standoff from a, a traveler or somebody that was at the airport and was confronting an officer and there was a conversation about race. They were both black and, uh, and it, it resulted in the officer very heavy handedly striking the woman. Um, and th that's where the video cut off. Right, right. So the officer's wearing a mask, and the person is, is not wearing a mask. Not wearing a mask, yeah. And she's way out of line for a person that missed a flight. I mean, when you miss a flight, it's that's not how you're supposed to be. So she, so, so she's yelling and screaming, and saliva's flying out of her mouth. And then she gets closer to the officer and the reports say she was spitting. We'll find out if that's true or not. And so now the officer, he might have elderly parents. Maybe he doesn't want to get the disease. I don't know all the, I, I, I don't know all the answer yet. I don't know. Well, in, in, in any case, we're all conditioned right now. Like we have this reality in our mind. Like, I mean, it's, it is a thing, and I'm not in, in any way excusing, uh, you know, the violence from the officer, but we are all conditioned that that kind of action right now is basically an act of violence. To walk up to somebody and spray in their face is... is yeah, uh, right. So, yeah. So, so all these kind of stories, you got to, you, you can't make, a, you can't, if you ask me what I thought of that, is it, should it be fired? 
if I gave you an answer, yes, like Mayor Jimenez said, or the union said no and said right now, you have to wait until, you, until everything is in. Then you come up with an answer. So imagine a board, a, a board of seven and seven or eight and eight from each side going over it, watching the video, talking to the officer, talking to the, to the lady that was doing this bidding. Ask her. I'd love to ask her. If you spit on people during the coronavirus time, what do you think is going to happen? Yeah. And then I like to ask the officer, why couldn't you restrain yourself? What, 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 what was that? Is that the first time you ever hit somebody like that? Right. Were you thinking about your father? Had your, had your uh, father just um, started coughing or something and you thought he was getting it? So you yeah, thought you were yeah. going to spread it to him and all that kind of stuff. There's a, there's a lot to that, that, and this Miami-Dade police are not alone in this, but there there is a lot to be desired um, in in the realm of de-escalation and being able to. Uh, I, I don't personally, you know, from somebody whose father was was a was was a was a cop. I don't think that in the last 20, 30 years, the training has lent itself to de-escalation. I feel like a lot of it has been. Uh, confrontational and don't give an inch and you saw that at play there where if it was just two citizens if it was me with no badge or you with no badge and somebody was behaving that way and confronting me that way i mean in my mind i probably would have stepped back and just said i don't need this this is a hassle i don't want to be involved in this. you can't do that though can't you're the it. police officer you right. can't step back yeah and 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 think about this so you got the airline people there and somebody's screaming and hollering and so you don't call a social worker. You don't call a protester. Call the police. Call the police. That's yep. the famous words, right? Call the police. So now you got a police officer that's, I don't know, done his done his work for the day and, you know, kissed his wife goodbye. And he's got another old call. He's done hundreds of them. And he goes there and turns into that. Right. And comes in hot. You know, it's it, 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 it happens. Like, and it, it, yeah. And, it's a question of are training, you, you, I think. Can you be trained for something like that? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, and also, we're we're in a pretty unprecedented moment right now. Uh, I mean, like, everything that people are going through. And, I mean, when else in our history would it be considered, like, a, a, an overt act of, of aggression to do that? Not just, like, disrespect. Because I think normally being spit upon is, like, obviously, it's always disrespectful and aggressive, I suppose. But, like, it, it, like threatening of your health you know, threatening of your well-being or the well-being of the people that you live with. Um, is there a difference between spit, spitting on somebody or taking out a knife? These, these days, I mean, that your survival rates are probably pretty close between the two of each other. But the, yeah, right. Those so, two things. so, so you'd have to you'd have to have that type of measurement. And now, if this person has a record of doing this, mm -hmm. that's a different story. If he's if he's hit fifty people in his three years of being, or five people, whatever the magic number is. If he's done that in his course of his career, then you have to wonder who the heck's watching the store. Yeah. But if this is the first time, uh, perfect record, and he became a just human, um, you'd have to wonder, and you'd have to wonder again. You know, there there was I had an incident once where I got in my house. This is this is twenty years ago. I got in my house. I got left my house, got in the car, and my daughter was about seven or eight. I was taking her to Sunday school. Go down the driveway, get into the street, drive maybe 20 feet, and all of a sudden I'm surrounded by like five police cars. Like this, it was unbelievable. And so, I 
<laughs> they came up carefully. What, what, what did I do? What did I do? And they said, we have a description of a car like yours. The person was beating their wife. And I could, what? Beating wife? What? what? I mean, I could have gone ballistic, right? Spit on them, whatever. So what I said was, let's go back to my house. You can ask my wife. She's sleeping, but you can ask her. So, so they all follow me, five cars, back to my house and pull in my driveway. And all of a sudden, the police officer takes out his uh, walkie-talkie or whatever he had and said, oh, wrong car. Bye. Sorry. And left. Yeah. That was it. <laughs> it was over. That was it. Done. Um, I could I could have made it been really bad. Yeah. That's it. It was nothing. Yeah. I think that you have to understand that when you're around a police officer, I, like I was talking with a friend of mine today about that very incident. We were actually chatting at work today about it. Um, and I was saying how a lot of times you catch uh, like the videos that go viral like that are even if they don't re result in like long-term damage or like long-term uh, like death or injury or anything like that, they're the people's worst day of their life. You're seeing a video of somebody on their worst day of their life. It's the, you know, missed the plane or something like that happened. Or who knows, like you say, we don't know what the officer's story was. We do know that we can judge that behavior, but we don't know what the context was. And like, but we do know that we're seeing probably the shittiest day of that guy's life, at least right. to that point. And, and what if what if the woman that, that did that said, you know what, I was I did the wrong thing. Mm. I shouldn't have been screaming and holler. I shouldn't have spit on him. Uh, I probably would have slapped myself. Maybe she'd say that. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. You have to you have to you have to go until you get to the all the answers and figure it out till you know, and then then you know the history, and then you can come to a conclusion. So up up front, I promised that I wanted to talk a little bit about, uh, and this is look, I want to talk to you about. Pets Trust and everything that happened in 2012 and continues to progress. I want to learn more about this because, like I said before, I voted for this. My wife voted for this. My family voted for this. We read the stories that happened afterwards, but I feel like people don't don't maybe don't all know exactly what went down. And it's not just to dwell in the past. I think that the story of what happened and it's continuing to go on with Pets Trust speaks to one of the core like lacks of trust or faith that we have in our system of government that they'll do the thing that we want them to do. So for folks who don't know, uh, or not from Miami, because we have a lot of listeners not in Miami, in 2012, it's funny, here are my notes, I have 2012, but up in the intro, I had 2014. <laughs> there was an initiative on the ballot, I voted for it, like I said, my wife, my family, aimed at improving animal welfare, increasing adoptions, and decreasing overpopulation by providing free and low-cost spay-neuter uh, programs, educational programs, financial assistance for rescue groups, and other programs that would have benefited um, animals in Miami. And you, Michael, were the chief name behind that initiative, which half a million people for a ballot initiative, a lot of these things get ignored or not paid attention to or just left blank on ballots a lot of times. But for a ballot initiative, that's huge. A half a million people uh, voted for. It was overwhelmingly and, and it was on page. It was on page 11 of that's 11. That's right. It was all ballot. the way back in the booklet. Uh, <laughs> but it was never implemented. So I will just ask the super broad question and let you fill it in. What happened? Well, first, let me let me it, it, grab a pencil and paper, go to YouTube, <laughs> and and look up Political Animals Pets Trust. We'll drop the link uh, in the I'm, in the I'm show description. So, yeah. folks, if you're listening Great. right and, now, and, the link is in the show description. Okay, and Joe Cardona, a, a local uh, columnist and filmmaker, and worked with uh, Miami Herald and PBS. Joe was the director. Uh, 
put put the story together and made the movie. So if you get a chance to watch it, you can you'll see everything that happened. But to to tell you about it now, I I think it's a horrendous example of what's wrong with our county government. And so I I knew nothing about animal anything. I didn't even know what a rescue group was. I knew nothing about it. But I went learned from our animal shelter. I learned that that was the place that we were killing twenty thousand animals a year. And so when I when I heard it, I I couldn't believe it. I mean, that that building over there, you're killing 20, 60, 70, 80 dogs and cats. Are, are they all sick? No, none are sick. Mm. No, I couldn't believe it. So, so you had a bad year. It's been going on for like a year or two. Oh, no. We can go back 30, 40 years spending millions of dollars every year to kill them. And so <laughs> it just hit me. Can't be right. Got to do something about it. So I went to the head of the animal departments and I said, look, how would you solve the problem? You got to have money. How much, how much money would you need and where would it go? That began the beginning of the pets trust. And so they came back that they would need $20 million and that, and their, and their budget was around 10 million Mm -hmm. at that time. So they would need $20 million of which we calculated 12 million would be a very proactive, very aggressive spay neuter program to try to do anywhere from a hundred to 125,000 animals a year. To try to get get it under control, so so I went to the we we formed the Pets Trust. Uh, Rita Schwartz became one of the co-founders. She was totally dedicated to to saving animals, and and so she taught me a lot about what's involved. And she didn't know the government part, so we made a good team. Um, and there was a third person, a Lindsay Gordon, who joined us at that time, also rescue person. We went to the county commissioners one by one by one and, and at, went in front of the commission. And we got somebody to sponsor the bill. And the commissioners voted to put it on the ballot so people could vote to raise their property taxes to invest in our animals. And the average home would have paid $20 a home. Mm-hmm. And it would have raised $20 million. Right. And so um, all, all the commissioners and the mayor at that time said that we'd lose. Because they said, people in Miami, they wouldn't even vote. To, they wouldn't vote to raise their taxes if we had a cure for cancer. They're just so anti-tax that they wouldn't do it. But good luck. We'll put it on. But you have no chance. And it was a non-binding ballot because in the state of Florida, get this, our Republican-led legislature back in the day decided that if we wanted to do a property tax initiative, it had to be non-binding because they didn't want the people to be able to say we want this vote for it and get it so it only became an opinion so we knew we had to win by more than one vote it had to be a really strong opinion so uh we the the goal became to educate the community about the problem and and just like i didn't know what was going on most people didn't know it either right so we had an event where i lived in an animal cage at the shelter and I lived in the cage for three days and it was outside. It was hot. It was dirty. It was smelly. It was messy. And I lived with all the dogs out there. And, and so um, that got a lot of attention and that made people aware. People came and they bring their children. I, I can still remember Daddy, why is he living in this cage? Well, he believes in something and he wants to get something done. And this is, you know, what he's, you know, the parents would tell their children stuff. It was great. So, so um, when the vote came, we, we would, and this, this is, this is a sad part also that 
we we see would see people on the line getting ready to go vote, and we'd ask them to vote for the Pets Trust, and and there were thirty five percent that said no. But but we'd ask the people, why 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 are you voting no? You don't like animals? Oh no no, it's not the animals. We just know if this passes, our county government will not spend that money the way they said they would. We don't trust the government to use the money wisely. <laughs> so if we had the trust, we would have got more votes. Yeah. So 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 it turns out we still got sixty five percent to thirty five percent, and yeah, then landslide. the mayor and yeah the mayor and the county and the commissioners said they'll implement it. Now they had to implement it. So we the, the vote was every the wealthier the neighborhood the higher tax you'd have to pay and the wealthier the neighborhood the higher the votes so the people of Pinecrest and Miami Beach and Key Biscayne and Coral Gables were saying take our hand we're going to help you right in the neighborhoods that needed the help it was a beautiful together it was beautiful it was a great story so many plans that yeah. we had and and people around the country how did you do it let's do it here let's put it here we got to do it here and so and, and, and the challenge was, hey, this is a community problem. There's thousands and hundreds of thousands of stray animals all over the place. And it, it, let's all solve it as a community. So so um, the mayor, Jimenez, he decided um, that after telling us he was going to do it, two days before the budget meeting came up where the, they would have voted to do it, he decided that he said a few people called him up and said they didn't know what they were voting for. And that was the end of it. Now and, this was this and, was freshly imp, uh, freshly minted Mayor Jimenez, who's I think at the time he had uh, refreshed my memory, but he he had just stepped into office yeah. at that point, right? Uh, two two years as a mayor. Yeah, but it but it doesn't matter. Fifty years or five minutes, he brought all of the pets trust people into a meeting, and and we were told in that meeting, which was probably the best meeting of my life. Is, is is we were told that just because the people voted to put in the 20 million, he may not want to do it all. He may decide instead of $20, maybe $10. So at that meeting, he looked at us, he looked around this table and he said, I'm going to do every penny that they voted for. And then he did a hundred percent turnaround, exactly the opposite. And, and, he, and it went so bad that, that he accused that the reason that, that the passion that I have had over the years to implement that vote, he he said it's because we get the money. The Pets Trust gets the money. Mm -hmm. Michael Rosenberg gets the money. How how do I get the money? Is it a gift card from the county? How how would I get that money? Are you going to be doing so, the spaying and neutering yourself? Or your house is going to get really I busy. <laughs> I have I have no idea. Uh, and and so so that battle's gone on. There's what he what he did do is he kept raising the budget dollar amount for animal services. Hmm. So get this in, in 2012, their budget was $10 million in 2020. It's almost $30 million. Oh my God. But wait, the same 30,000 animals are still coming in a year. Think about that. There's been no, change where's the that amount of adoptions i don't know a lot of, i have a lot of employees they there's there's the, the amount of adoptions are about the same and what's even worse is now they turn away animals so the actual truth of what's happening in their reports is not reflected in the reality of when they turn away animals 
and the animals die in the streets, they don't record those deaths. So, so they look like they're doing really great. Right. But when you look at all the numbers, you have to wonder how are, are all, are all of our apartments like that where they get all this extra money and there's no difference in the performance. I mean, as commissioner, they're just ballooned. I'd, I'd want to examine every one of, I'd want to examine every department, see what the heck's going on. Cause if they think animal service is doing great, explain it to me. It's the same they did with 10 million that they did with 30 million. This speaks to like a really core. This is a Florida thing. Maybe it's other places too, but I always say it's a Florida thing. I think about, you know, working to, you know, rally to get amendment four passed um, two years ago. And I think about all the various, you know, state and local ordinances about decriminalization of marijuana or, you know, uh, legalization of marijuana, all of these things where the public very clearly in one voice will say to its government, whether it's Tallahassee or whether in this case, the county of Miami-Dade, hey, this is what we want. And then it doesn't happen. And then year after year, we wonder why there's fewer people voting, fewer trusting, less trusting government. Right. right. It's infuriating. I I would do my best to to undo that. One of the things I'd like to do is have some sort of ballot uh, questions that are just getting people's opinions. Mm. Uh, Just just to to do some sort of polls and see what people are thinking and and and. I, I, I believe more questions should go to the voters. And there's two things about that that would be great. First of all, it, it's more exciting to go vote when they want to know my opinion about something. You know, yeah. when somebody says, what do you think? Should the building be blue or red? Or should we have Metro Rail this or whatever? It, it, when I get to vote on it, you're interested in hearing what I have to say. Hmm. And then you, then you do it. You do it. And, and, and I think that every election should have five or six questions like that were, were uh, referendums kind of questions. Yeah, referendum, that. exactly, and, yeah. Yeah, and so so with the with the Pets Trust, you know, we, we were the perfect example. Imagine me sitting down with George Washington, John Adams, Jefferson, Franklin, Monroe, Madison, and I tell them, listen, what you, this is what you did. You, you made a, well, Ben, Ben, you said it's a good <laughs> government if we can keep it, if we can keep it. Yeah. But anyway, let me tell you what I did. So I identified a problem. The problem was we were killing 20,000 animals a year. I realized what we needed to do and, and came up with a solution. And then I found a way to fund it and how it would work. And then I educated the community, well, the, the pets trusted, educated the community about what needed to be done. And, and then the people voted on it. And then it overwhelmingly passed. Yeah. And Ben and George, guess what? They didn't do it. That's pretty bad, right? It's broken. It's something that's broken and needs and needs to be repaired. Um, yeah. It's it, yeah. And it, when I saw your name that you that you were going to be one of the names running for District Seven, um, or you know, I remembered the story. I reacquainted myself with it, and uh, you know, it was one of those just like watermark one of those bellwether moments where you say like this thing is not working right this thing's not working right um so the primary it's on august 18th election is november 3rd if you're in district 7 and you're hearing my voice look for the name michael rosenberg and check that box he's got the bird road seal of approval you can learn more about him at michael district 7 and that's the number 7.com uh michael where else can people learn more about you you simply have to pick up your phone and call me at 
800-439-3571 and talk to me. And my number is everywhere because I, there's nothing to hide from. <laughs> and uh, I, I love talking to people. And I've, uh, you know, I, I had a triple bypass three years ago and oh, man, everything's good that. now. But I, I was a total idiot because I knew something was wrong and I didn't do anything about it. And, and um, so when it happened, and that's the first thing I ever had, I never had the hiccups in my life. All of a sudden, what's the first thing you ever had? Triple, Triple bypass. bypass, yeah. So, 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 right. So, so I wrote about it and I wrote about how, how people um, need to listen to their bodies. And a lot of people thanked me for, for, for doing that. You don't need any more idiots besides me when it comes to what they didn't do regarding their health. One was enough. And so, so it's been published a lot. And uh, the Baptist Hospital did a really great uh, video about, about that, what, that story. So, so, and it's out there a lot. And so I got a, one, one of my calls I got from somebody was some, somebody that said, Mr. Rosenberg, um, I, I know about the health issue you had, and I, I think you do great work. And I, I want you to win. W will you make it for four more years? <laughs> <laughs> oh man! <laughs> and I said, I said, you know, we never know if we're going to make it another day. None of us does. <laughs> but, but I mean, that's, a, that's an example of a, of a kind of a call that, mm. that people will call up. They're just, just, a, just a heartfelt. I, I thought it was beautiful. I mean, I loved it. So we'll drop your phone number too in the show description as well. And uh, if you want to get them on the horn, call up Michael and talk talk about uh, Miami District Seven. And uh, you know, if if you're if you're not sold yet, figure out why uh, why he deserves your vote. Michael, thanks for coming on Bird Road. I loved it. Thank you. Thank you.